Okay, are there any questions or reflections? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the question there is, well, first thing, reflection, enjoyed the practice, found it helpful. And um, but the question came is like, well, when to linger? Should I linger? If it's unsatisfactory, then why am I lingering in it? You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, this could be a way of doing the practice that could cause some kind of muddling. But if we, um, we can use it as a way of clarifying exactly what we're doing here, yeah? It's not that things are unsatisfactory, yeah? It's that we're seeing that they're unsatisfactory. And so there's this kind of subtle difference, right? At another time, we could actually see this is release. This is release, and we linger in it. And then, interesting to see, at a certain point we could bring it across and say, I think this is unsatisfactory. And then what does that do? Oh, it's a different type of thing. Maybe it opens the experience, or maybe it fades the experience, or maybe it heightens the experience. In different times, it would be different things. In a certain way, we could say, the way we tend to relate to things limits, blocks, constrains, defines a certain conception of them. This counter-logical, counter-cultural kind of thing, you're saying, oh, that's unsatisfactory opens the definitions in a certain sense and then maybe that's wider that's deeper maybe i'll linger in that and so at no time are we either saying that that you know it's satis- this is a satisfactory release fact or this is a uh, this really is unsatisfactory fact you know because it, it's not in that it's in the way that we relate and so we're using this um gentle conviction as a skillful means, not as a, a truth of things. And, and I think that possibly opens up the freedom to kind of move between them according to how we feel. Is that actually, that's nice. That's not, that should be nourished. I should let that in. I should let myself get into that experience. And then at a certain point you might say, ah, I'm trying to own it. Or ah, I'm trying to th- make a thing out of that and try and carry that around with, <laughs> with me in the sense then maybe then it's a helpful time to say, this is unsatisfactory. Yeah. And be, yeah, it's just about that gentle conviction, not about a truth of things. Does that kind of frame it a bit better? Yeah, great. Really good question. Thanks. Hi. That's, that's great. Very helpful, yeah. So I just reframe that and see if either of us want to say anything to it. So... Um, kind of questioning the use of this word unsatisfactory, coming to a uh, understanding of it as meaning it's unsatisfactory to me um, and, uh, and, and to what I need, wish, deeply value in life. And another point was in relationship to, you know, we ended the meditation with, you know, and this too is unsatisfactory, ringing the bell, the sound of the bell, which, you know, I, I think this bell came from very far away and someone sat in a shop ringing all the bells that they had, hundreds and hundreds of bells, to decide this is the most melodious, harmonious, you know, resonant with the body and mind that they could find in, in, in the available selection. And so, yeah, it's a hand-selected, hand-made, hand-crafted 
delicately carried across and well looked after and even the stick and the amount of whatever it is on there and things like this, you know, to make as beautiful a sound as possible. It's going to be hard to then turn around, you know, and all the association with, you know, the tradition and all this kind of thing and say, oh, that's unsatisfactory. It feels like, oh, you know, all that hard work <laughs> you went into. But again, you know, we're trying this on, not because it's true, because of what it does, what it does to put that into the stream of experience um, so I don't know if you want to yeah maybe first of all I'll just say great questions and um, and I think this is a big part of what this practice does <laughs> it actually brings us um, closer to um, to really kind of profound aspects of our experience and our practice and kind of what we're doing. Um, so I kind of just want to say that. Um, and it also like opens out and brings forth the possibilities of, um, of our experience. Yeah? Of like, how do I hold something as, you know, really beautiful and unsatisfactory like that's the that's the invitation um in a way yeah so it's not a rejection of the beauty yeah but it's like it, it, and it, it follows on from the previous question of like when to linger kind of what we what we attune to um you know we can feel ah this is really beautiful and let that beauty fill us up and then we drop in and it's unsatisfactory <laughs> and just we see uh, what opens there and very much to um, kind of uh, reflect back and kind of resonate in the way the bell resonates to say yes explore this you take the steps that you need to take your time with it you know don't rush you know, to see it as a real sense of ah okay I don't you know I don't want to say unsatisfactory to the sound of the bell okay so I won't today, <laughs> yeah? And I just leave it, but I leave it as an open question to, to a degree, yeah? I just kind of, and I, and I work that way. And as Nathan was saying in response to the previous question, that can be an ongoing, so delicate, yeah? That's part of what's so beautiful, yeah? Ongoing exploration for us. Ah, right now, you know, I've said unsatisfactory, and then this joy comes, yeah? And it's really about taking, for me at least, you know, it's, feeling what's the appropriate pace you know so sometimes we want to keep going with the practice so we'll just keep dropping in the unsatisfactory sometimes we'll just I'll just pause yeah and stay with the joy and feel it and linger it and nourish and then maybe drop it in so it's really yeah taking the the, the taking the right pace for you both in the micro so in the immediate experience and in the macro like on how you engage with this practice over time um, I hope that made sense. So just to, should I repeat? Or are you going to? Um, yeah, I'll just repeat so far. Just the, the question about the instructions um, and whether it was wholly disinterest and wholly dissatisfaction. It was wholly discontent. Wholly disinterest and wholly discontent. Yes, it's whole as in WH. Yeah. No. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it's <laughs> for me it's both. But yeah, it's wholly as H-O-L. H-O-L. 
yeah, that brings a sense of sacredness and that kind of that holds the, the disinterest and the discontent. Again, it's this, it's this seeming contradiction, yeah, which isn't a contradiction that we're opening to. So I'm just going to repeat that, just looking at the, at the eight worldly da- uh, dharmas, the, wi- the eight worldly winds um, of uh, praise and blame, success and failure, pain and pleasure, um, these opposites. It, se- it feels like it's cutting them at the root to you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely does. Uh, you know, it's really part of, of kind of that's kind of what we what we've been talking about of a kind of going uh, into an earlier stage of the of, of how dukkha is, is constructed. Yeah, through these practices. So um, it, it kind of as if it it kind of goes and disables the mechanism that creates those polarities in a way, that's one way we could say it. Um, or, yeah, when there's already the polarity, just goes in there and, and disables it, so the whole thing crumbles uh, in a way. And then the sense of release that comes with that, the sense of peace, the sense of equanimity, we could say. Great, so I, I'll try and um, re- reflect it back and see if I, if I get all the parts right. So. Um, understanding both that this practice but also ways of relating to experience that all things will pass um, all things that arise will pass and you know and that engenders a sense of letting go and, and all of this and wondering in what way this connects or is it a different practice to do with the sense of abundance a sense of you know everything that we need is already here we just need to kind of find that um, you know, the peace is already here. It's, happiness is already here, and you know, we're doing our habitual mode is kind of just taking us away from what's already here and available. Yeah, did I get pretty close? Um, so yeah, this practice is certainly rooted in the insight, the knowledge that we know that um, you know, everything will pass. And so still kind of dropping that in every so often with the phrases today to give that sense. It's also working on a slightly different level, which is that all things are unsatisfactory, which is kind of like going a little bit further than saying, well, this too will pass. Um, Because interestingly, this too will pass might be something we would then end up with, you know, going into the museum and saying the value of this thing that normally, you know, this Ming vase would have passed, but it's still here. And so it's worth a lot more. And I really want it and I can't wait to get it. Because things are transient, they, they can bring so much more satisfaction because then I'll be the one person with a, you know, plinth and a, you know, vase on it and, and all of that or, you know. Um, so we're making sure that we drop in that sense and it's unsatisfactory. Ming vases, beautiful, beautiful, so refined, such artistry and so, you know, and lasted for so long. Unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory. As a way of looking at that and seeing, so actually that opens out, changes my relationship and perhaps it becomes more beautiful, more delightful, more enjoyed. But I don't want to walk home with it. I don't want to look after it. I just want to, ah, beauty that someone created, that someone worked for, and we can all enjoy. That should be available to everyone. No gripping, no grasping, no, no attachment. So in that sense, is the abundance already there, or do we create it? Is it conditioned or unconditioned? You know, various kind of ideas there. 
part of the teachings are suggesting that there is a, a deconditioning, a, a removal of the conditions and something opens out, something opens out. So yeah, we could have that kind of view, that there is an abundance, but I would be wary of a teaching that said, almost like there's nothing to do, the abundance is already here, um, because certainly there is things to do, it's, it's unconditioning, unconditioning, dukkha, and that's what this practice is kind of aiming to do. So, that's my reflection on it. Beautiful. So, repeat of the question um, was that, you know, the sense of getting quite agitated with the practice because of the word unsatisfactory and feeling like saying to something um, like birdsong, which is very beautiful, it's unsatisfactory kind of, um, the word that, that you used was, it means it's rubbish, it's not, it has no worth, it has no value, certainly has no beauty. Um, yeah, and then that's kind of, that, that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't bring a sense of release because the the response internally is no you are beautiful it is beautiful that kind of the, the affirming rather than the negating yeah um, and the question being can we kind of go more into what is meant by this term unsatisfactory like what are we looking at um, yeah so one thing I would say to that is. Um, that can be really helpful and that goes back to, to the seeing the, the inconstancy of things um, which is to see that, that the unsatisfactory as you know unable to bring lasting satisfaction yeah so that that you know that can be helpful like as a uh, one way of, of really of kind of um, Sorry, my the words are just escaping. <laughs> They're disappearing in my in from between my mind and my mouth. Um, yeah, just just kind of unpacking it a little bit and saying, okay, this is this. I'm using I'm using unsatisfactory because that's short. But what I'm meaning is cannot bring lasting satisfaction, which then I think touches on what Nathan was saying just now about you know beauty in general, whether it's a bird song or a Ming vase. Um, that there's a sense of beauty and there's a sense, part of the sense of beauty is the preciousness of it, yeah, but with that preciousness also seeing, but it cannot, this isn't something, that is not going to last and the satisfaction is not going to last, yeah, which I think is something we, we know. Um, so that would be one, one suggestion. How does that sound? Does that make it more palatable? Yeah, so, so I would also say play with words and, and kind of, if, if you're interested, yeah, not as a way of bringing more agitation, but if you'd like to kind of spend time with this, and that can be today, but it can also be that you don't do it today and you kind of just think, okay, this is something for an ongoing reflection, to play and find what's the word. Sometimes um, this can be the value of dukkha word, uh, of dukkha, of Pali words, they're less loaded. <laughs> So I don't know, I mean, saying to the birdsong, you know, your dukkha might also be quite loaded. Um, but it can be, um, yeah, just, just playing uh, with, with, the, with the words and uh, with the concepts or the images and, um, and working with them. And 
just to also say it the same, and one, sorry, Nath, one last thing, <laughs> is that also with these ways of looking practices, they're not all of them are relevant for all of us. Yeah, so we've been doing, you know, different, three different types of working with particularly the dukkha lens. Yeah, this is one of them, unsatisfactory, the welcoming is another, the relaxing of contraction is a third. Maybe that, you know, one of them, and it may be that it's just seeing things as transient that's more powerful or seeing things as, non, as not self, as not having an inherent existence is more powerful um, and more accessible. And just one of them is enough. So we don't have to get to grips with all of them. I want to say that. And at the same time, if there's something around this that's interesting to just take time and reflect on it. And could be that a lot of the practice now would be in reflection around it rather than in application. Yeah, it's a quite a long answer. You're welcome. So just before we go to something else, I just want to put something into the field. This isn't necessarily for your question, Catherine, but just to like give another sense of like what we're playing with with this practice. And I appreciate this might throw up more questions, but like this is almost like an extract from the talk, which I didn't do because it just felt like it might be a bit complicated. But um, I had this idea of. Um, a living kind of example that we could have, which is, um, do you know the cellist Jacqueline Dupre? Very kind of well-respected, beautiful, beautiful musical artist. Seemed like music just flowed through her veins. And imagine if you were going to watch someone like that, you know. And before it, you were in the kind of build-up, you were sitting next to someone, started having a conversation, and they were telling you about something. It was, oh, this is really interesting. It's really nice to connect me with someone. But when Jacqueline Dupre starts playing, they carry on talking, yeah? Now that's a little bit like the experience like we might see here. So let's say the Buddha experienced something really, really delightful, which he then decided to dedicate the rest of his life teaching people how to get to. He called it the unfabricated, the deathless, the peaceful, the beautiful. He experienced this thing. And he thought, the only way you can get to this is by losing your entrancement with the appearance of things. Only way you can do that, only way that you'll get to this experience, this beautiful, peaceful experience, the birthright of all human beings is by losing the attraction with the conversation before the beauty, the musical art. We have to stop the conversation. I have to say, I want to listen to something else. I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you to stop now. Jacqueline Dupre is playing. She's amazing. And she's already started. And he's like, conversations are great. They are great. Birdsong is beautiful. It is beautiful. But compared to this, it's dukkha. It's entrapment, ensnarement, sensory desire and sensory pleasure. But there's something more. There's something more. And that's, that's the framework in which these teachings sit. And also what this practice can sit in. And that might not be for all of us, you know, but like all of these Dharma teachings are heading in that direction. There's something else, something else, something you can't get attached to. Yeah. So a little bonus from the talk. Hi, yeah. (laughs) You... I'll, I'll offer out earplugs next time. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to repeat it? Or I, I? Um, I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so also finding the, the practice quite challenging and uh, in a very similar way. And particularly, um, you know, getting to quite a pleasant place, a place of well-being and, and, and pleasure. And then Nathan saying, this is dukkha, this is unpleasant. Well, yeah. No, you didn't, didn't say unpleasant, mm. but Sue heard unpleasant. <laughs> um, and this is dukkha unsatisfactory. And then the sense of like outrage. No, this is um, pleasant. And I think the key thing that you said is that this goes against the practice that you're doing at the moment because you're in the process of cultivating well-being. So, yeah, uh, you, you go first because I answered the last one first. But, uh, no, no, it's fine. So I think this is an important point of discernment and, and it's, it's great that you're bringing this up even though it, it was there with other people as well and we didn't quite touch on it. There's also importance, um, you know, to what practice you're doing at the moment and how this fits in. Yeah? So this is what we would call you know, an insight practice. It can lead to samadhi because there's a lot of well-being that comes into it. But if you're already doing samadhi practice, which you are, in a, in a different form, you're using the breath or you're using metta to get there, it can get confusing. Yeah? If the samadhi is, you know, it's very, very kind of very late in the process of samadhi and the cultivation of, of that depth of meditation where you would bring in this. You would eventually bring in these kind of ways because that's when we bring the insight in. Um, but it can, it can get confusing and, and actually be unhelpful. Um, and then the clarity of the intention with your practice and what you're actually doing is important there. So, um, so yeah, so I wouldn't, you know, because... You know, I know that you came on the retreat already with this intention and this practice. It's an ongoing thing for you. Then, yeah, I wouldn't, I would say no. I would say, I don't know what Nathan will say, but I would say don't bring, uh, don't try to bring this in right now because um, you're building up the, the, the samadhi practice. You're building up the, the well-being and the harmonization. Um, yeah. Mm. So a sense that it might also contradict gratitude and thankfulness. That's, that's a, an area to, to explore um, because, you know, it can actually also really enhance them. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an area to explore. But always, you know, just, you know, whether like, like yourself, you know, people here, you know, you have a clarity, I'm doing this kind of practice and this is getting the way, or you're just getting a sense, this is not helpful right now any of the practices you're welcome to park always <laughs> and to to come back to or not later on um, on your journey um, yeah great yeah so so a reflection i just um try and uh, give a um or kind of a repeat or, or brief version of that which is that yeah the practice worked really well for me and opened a lot of um parts that felt like they were starting to get blocked with kind of really going for samadhi practice and this kind of open things and um, adding in like a wise elder, you know, this is unsatisfactory, it's my love. <laughs> no, I just said unreliable. unreliable. I just, just want to say it because I mm. think that might be a helpful uh, word for people who find unsatisfactory mm -hmm. difficult. Yeah. Yeah, thank mm -hmm. yeah. And then also noticing that you know, sometimes there's like a really large sense of well-being in the being and then interestingly dropping in a sense of like, you know, this is unreliable, unsatisfactory, this is dukkha. And it's actually opened that quality, brightened that quality, made it more nourishing and more well-being and, and until it came to a point where it's like, I'm just going to sit in this, just going to sit in this. And it felt really wholesome, really helpful. So it's really delightful. 
So, um, yeah, feeling a lot of grief and uh, a little bit overwhelmed by that sense of grief, not sure um, if it relates just to the practice or how it relates to the practice, um, or also to the kind of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh mention and quote that Nathan uh, shared. Um, and that kind of some of that is, is coming, you know, it's grief around the sense of everything that I, I love, that I cling to, that I care about, I'm attached, that will all pass. And that bringing up, uh, yeah, a, a deep sense of, of grief, but also you said not, in, not necessarily in a bad way, or not in a bad way. And the question being, what, what do I do with this <laughs> now? Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, when we open to the transiency of things, to the unreliability of them that can bring grief, and it's definitely not a bad <laughs> uh, thing, I would say, you know, it's, it's part of, of our love and our um, connection that, that arises there. Um, and and one, one thing to say is this is, a, you know, a, an invitation to bring care uh, to yourself. Um, and already that discernment, that wisdom of saying, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of emotion, you know, I'm crying, <laughs> um, there's a lot of grief, uh, not putting it in a basket of, you know, bad needs to be stopped, needs to be dealt with. Uh, not okay, and also not getting overwhelmed. And I think there's a real, one really uh, valuable thing is to feel actually, ah, not overwhelmed. Yeah, tender, open, feeling, experiencing, not overwhelmed. You know, I've often been, um, I watched this film about Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama spending a few days together. Um, and one of the things that you really see, they both, like, they laugh a lot, a lot, but they also cry a lot. <laughs> like, they're just, you know, they, they, they see suffering and they cry, yeah? They, they think about difficult experiences in their lives and they're emotional. It's not, like, we don't need to get rid of that, I guess, is, is part of what I, um, I'm, I'm wanting to say. Um, so yeah, so kind of taking some time to sit with this or to walk with it, to feel into it, to tend to it. Yeah, what, what does this need? Yeah, what would give it space? What would give it ground? What would give it care and compassion? Um, and, you know, when, and, and, and that ongoing question of kind of what's appropriate and when. At some point it might be, okay, now I can put this down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, putting it down, you know, giving it, to the earth, it's good at recycling. Um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I will now um, see if I can pull the bucket back towards you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, getting this understanding that when we say that something is unsatisfactory, in a certain sense, we're saying there is no satisfaction contained within this entity. You know, this thing, this birdsong, this sensation, this emotion, this beautiful state. There's no satisfaction in that. The satisfaction, like when we go to buy something and we get happy, we brought the happiness into the shop with us. That same kind of sense. And we're just looking at this and saying, this does not contain satisfaction. You know, if I unpack the ingredients in birdsong, there isn't, you know, anywhere satisfaction. The satisfaction comes from the way of relating. 
Um, I think that's a good way of seeing it. Yeah, it's a skillful way of, of interpreting that. Um, uh, no, it's, it's, it's resonant with what, what I meant. Um, I think there was one part of what you shared that maybe is... Um, I can't remember it now. Anyway. Um, and then you asked a question, and now my mind's doing its, its blank thing. Mm -hmm. Do you want to take over? Well, uh, I'll try. And I think yeah. there was also the thing about, you know, the, the, the sense of the grief for things that we love mm -hmm. um, not lasting, and then the, the capacity or the practice, we can say, to um, look at the love again, the way of relating, concentrate on that, rather than just the object of the love. Yeah, if we're talking about love, and kind of it opens up the the prism, opens up the space of what we're relating to. Um, and the question was, in daily life, oh, how do just we? Just before the ah, question, sorry. then I remember what the the point was. It sounded a little bit like saying, so it's almost like it doesn't matter what things come or who we're with or what we're doing and things like this. And then it could kind of become this, you know, what we call like a flatland approach. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter what happens, you know happiness comes from within and it's a, you know, that wouldn't be completely resonant with the teachings because, and, and also with our life, you know, there are significant people, there are people for whom, you know, we care more, there are beings for whom we've developed a connection and we allow for that, those kind of little karmic bundles come together and they relate together and they resonate together. Um, and then we can kind of come back to the cup of coffee example as you gave, but like just, just seeing, yeah, it definitely comes from this side. It comes in the way of relating. But that doesn't mean, um, you know, that we need to go and, you know, phone up our mother and say, I'm sorry, mother, you're just one in eight billion. <laughs> and, you know, we, I just want to love everyone equally and share my time with all of them, you know. So just, just not necessarily appropriating the teaching away from this as a meditation practice. And so it comes to this point, it's like how, how does this transfer to our life? Yeah. How do we live? And this is something Zara's going to speak about in the evening, but maybe she wants to give a little preview. Now, now. he's put me in it, hasn't he? I'm going to have to talk about it in the evening. Um, <laughs> I might bring some fairy dust and uh, okay. wipe your memories. Um, yeah, so how do we enjoy things, you know, whether, and, and I think it's, it, we can see that it's very similar. How do we enjoy things, whether it's med meditation experiences or things like um, a cup of, a nice cup of coffee in the morning? How do we enjoy that without that becoming, um, without building a sense of self, was what, a, a, a sense of self around it was your question. And I, I would just kind of say, yeah, without, without building dukkha uh, around it. Um, yeah. So definitely we can work. I'll, I'll say something quite radical. I think we, we have to also accept that some of it is a trade-off. Yeah, there's a trade-off. We, we, we live in the, in, in the world, and so there will be some dukkha uh, in our lives, also some self-constructed dukkha. Um, that's part of, of, of being alive, of being a human being in the world and choosing to live in the world, not to live, uh, you know, in, in a cave on a mountaintop, even though even there we could construct dukkha, certainly. Um, so just to put it out there, but of course there's very much both a in, a, an aspiration and a degree. Um, I'm really aware of the time, so maybe I'll just say it's quarter past 11. If anyone has had enough, 
and would like to go and get a bit of fresh air, then feel free to, to leave at any time. Sorry, we didn't say it before. Um, and, and yeah, and we can work, and it goes back actually to the very first question that we had today <laughs> of that movement between the lingering and the unsatisfactory, and can we hold the two? Yeah, and can we bring uh, the, the practice to that? Yeah, so that sense of, you know, how am I contracting? How contracted do I get around that cup of coffee? What happens when I don't have it? Yeah, <laughs> or I can't have it. Um, how can I have it, enjoy it, and do it in, a mo in, in the most, you know, relaxed, open uh, way? Yeah, and so the playfulness also comes in there. You know, if we know this, if there's things that we're particularly um, attached to, yeah, it can be habits, can be things that we're doing, can be people, can be cats. Um, just to bring that inquiry and that investigation into that. Notice the things that we notice when we're meditating. What's the what's the self of self? What's the sense of self doing? How heightened is it? How loud is it? Um, how dense is it? And can I limp? Can I kind of um, open it out? Yeah. And the interesting thing is that we'll see that it actually increases our enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we can open this even more and say, what kind of coffee do I have? That starts to also really matter. Yeah, what are the choices that are that I'm making? Yeah, who else is benefiting or suffering yeah, from this action? You know, opening up the vista uh, to others. And there may be some um, habits, like Nathan said, the whole idea of renunciation, some things that we choose to stop doing because we can see there's too much dukkha, there's too much suffering involved. Yeah, smoking a cigarette might be one. Um, you know, using uh, products where um, that entail a lot of suffering in the world is another. Yeah, in whatever form that touches us. So, you know, we can we can um, we can really explore this and make it. You know, take one thing and make it a an area of practice. Right. Okay. So let's have some time for some walking, and uh, come back again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.